0: Today we're speaking with Tom Denny and let's hear what he has to say. Let's hear his introduction on himself. Then we're going to jump into the conversation all around the new proposed EU regulation. My name is
1: Tom Denny. I'm a director for technology policy at BCW Global. BCW Global is a global public affairs and communications agency. I'm based in Brussels and help several clients, primarily in the tech sector, to navigate what's going on here in Brussels.
0: So, first up, if you don't know what we're doing here, this is Are You A Robot? podcast videocast. And we are tackling some of the greatest challenges that stem from AI and related technologies. The way we're doing that is by getting some of the best and brightest minds in their respective fields to come on here and talk with me about what they're doing. And hopefully as a community, we can find some best practices as we move forward. The conversation does not stop here. If you would like to keep talking about some of these certain themes, join us in our Slack channel, which you can find below. You can just click on that link, jump in Slack, introduce yourself, let us know what you're working on. Let us know how you see things and join what we've got to say around there. I think it's a very embracing community and we are all really trying to navigate the space right now. Last but not least, let's talk about our sponsor, EthicsGrade. They are an incredible company that is making this all possible. Without them, we would not be here and we would definitely not have the caliber of guests on this show. So they're an AI benchmarking firm. If you are wondering what your AI ethics score is, check out the link below to Get in touch with them. That is all. Now, let's talk with Tom Denny. Tom, thank you for joining me today. I am very excited to have you on this Are You a Robot podcast and videocast, and especially because... It is a very, very pertinent topic that we are going to cover today. I want to get into all of the EU new regulations that are coming out and we are in luck because you know quite a bit about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. As you said, it's a very timely moment to be having this conversation uh, as well as the, the usual cycle of of legislation that's coming through brussels we do have two major pieces of legislation that have just been published we have Mm -hmm. the digital services act and the digital markets act which taken together could fundamentally change the policy making environment not only in brussels but in the member
0: states across the eu okay so let's dive into that a lot and i want to go from maybe let's take a step back before we even get to where we are now, we can look at where we've come from. And first of all, why do you feel Europe is so gun ho about regulation? Because it seems like they're leading the way in the whole world, right? They're the ones that are actually doing something, albeit Might not be what everyone is looking for, or some people have their problems or their complaints, but they're doing something. And that's more to say about most. So, where does that spirit come from and why? I think for me, it's certainly fair to say that the
1: European Union is a world leader in terms of tackling the challenges that exist. In the digital economy whether it's on privacy or data or or competition Uh, personally i would say that it comes from having a very well established regulatory system with lots of capabilities in terms of analyzing some of the challenges in terms of proposing solutions but as i said i wouldn't see it necessarily as the eu being gung-ho I think that it, it's much more that the European Union has has shown itself willing to to grasp the nettle, as it were, and, and to be the first mover. Um, and that, that comes with its challenges, but of course comes
0: with some benefits as well. Completely. And that's something that... Let's dive into what the EU has done so far, and then maybe we can talk about what they want to do next. So... One thing that I, I found interesting talking with Charles, who I, th- I believe you met um, from ethics grade, he mentioned how it took the EU and basically the regulation, the regulatory bodies around that, it took us 20 years from the time the first cookie was dropped in the internet space till the time that something was regulated. And he liked to talk about how this is like let's bring the idea of cookies or whatever the idea that we're like looking to regulate, let's bring that into the real world. And if it's creepy in the real world, then we should probably think about how to regulate it when it's out in the digital space. And so my question there is any website we go on, We have to accept all cookies or accept cookies, right? And that to me feels like the only thing that actually changed. But I know there are a lot of people that talk about how this was a huge first step. And then you see that there are places like in the US, California is starting to look at something along the lines of GDPR. And then I know Brazil is also looking at their own version of it and Mexico too. So that was a first step and how how do you feel about maybe we could just dive into like how you feel about the time that it took to get there and the effectiveness of what gdr or gdpr has done
1: i think there are a couple of things i would unpack there the first in terms of the the timeline it's certainly true that in the the European Union, particularly at the EU level, you have quite a complex policy-making environment and big pieces of legislation can take several years. So in that sense, GDPR wasn't necessarily an exception to that rule. The second point I would make on the extraterritorial scope or the extent to which what goes on here in in brussels impacts other countries in the world particularly in the digital sector that is something that we're we're seeing a lot more um, it's been dubbed the the brussels effect mm-hmm. but there are increasingly uh legislative bodies in other countries you mentioned uh, the us but also brazil japan mm-hmm. and elsewhere that are looking at what's going on here in the European Union, here in Brussels, for lessons that they can learn, for inspiration that they can take. And and that's really a product of a couple of different things. One is the European Union has shown itself willing to try and, and tackle some of these issues. The second is that there is quite a bit of legislative heft in Europe,
0: um, yeah. and they have a track record.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a big market, um, and the European Union often prides itself on being a big market, and so it can have a it can have a, an impact on the, even the largest companies mm-hmm. um, that are operating. But then also, I think that we're in an interconnected world now, and the reality is that most. Uh, of the the largest digital companies that are operating in Europe will also be operating in many, many different countries around the world and will have to be cognizant of what's going on, Mm. not just in the EU but also in Brazil because, broadly speaking, consumers globally will be receiving the same service.
0: Yeah. So I'm just wondering... what is your opinion on like how effective or just the idea of g d r. p. and how that went down, and like what it's been so far like did it change anything in your eyes? Was it a good first move, and it still needs to continue being iterated on? yeah,
1: I certainly think the that- the challenges that GDPR identified and has tried to address, they have been identified beyond Europe now. So the, the importance of putting in place a framework for users to have privacy online, I think to a certain extent now, that's much more prominent than it was probably five or 10 years ago and GDPR has certainly played a part in that the second point I would make on that is that that GDPR was a first mover and that's Mm -hmm. had some benefits for the European Union but of course it's also come with some challenges of being first mover in the sense that you learn by doing and others that perhaps come later have been able to to take some of the lessons from that so the experience that i've seen of gdpr has been that the principles behind it i think are broadly accepted the implementation has been a bit more patchy Mm. and particularly in the european union what we've seen is that different member states have been interpreting the rules in slightly different ways or perhaps enforcing the rules with a bit less enthusiasm than Mm. than some others and and that's caused some some challenges particularly in terms of trying to ensure some coherence across the european union but but to a certain extent those are things that you discover uh, as GDPR is rolled out and and I'm sure it will be iterated in the future and, and built upon.
0: Yeah, and the idea that it's not the end, that this is only the beginning of what we're going to be seeing. And so I think that's a great segue into what we kind of came here to talk about. And the, the DSA and the Digital Markets Act, by the way, I think I, I said a f- I mispronounced GDPR or I'm really good at that from <laughs> really a few when I asked you in the last question. I'm also, there's a, I'm sure you've heard about Google's like GTP3 or G, GPT3. I confuse those like crazy all the time too. Uh, but forgive me for, for that. I told you words can be difficult sometimes. So, <laughs> well, you just got to bear with me on that. But Let's, let's talk about this, the new legislation that's coming out. And is it building on top of what we already have? What does it aim to do? What are some things about it? Like, can you just break it down in layman's terms for me? Sure. For me, one of the, the biggest
1: takeaways is that technology is increasingly becoming a regulated sector, A regulated industry Mm. the importance that technology plays in all of our lives has elevated the industry to a position in society in business in our culture that means that increasingly it is coming under greater regulatory scrutiny so that's that's the sort of the backdrop to, to all of this whether it's GDPR or privacy or the new legislation that's been proposed. I think that's that's the broader picture. When we look at the two specific proposals that, that we have now, the first one, as you as you said, the the Digital Services Act, the the DSA. What that's trying to do is to create a European wide framework for how platforms and uh, and other technology companies deal with illegal content that exists on their platforms online. So whether it's illegal hate speech or illegal products and services that are being sold on different platforms, the idea is can we create across the whole of the EU a coherent set of rules where any uh, digital platform that's operating in Europe knows what they need to be doing, regardless of the member state that they're Mm. operating in. Alongside that framework, for me, a key point is that it only relates to illegal content. Mm. So it's not tackling disinformation or fake news. It's only addressing very specific types of content that are clearly illegal in national legislation. Mm. So that's the the DSA, which, as I said, is very much related to content and tackling illegal content. The DMA is much more related to the European Union's competitiveness in the digital economy and making sure that The digital economy is as the commission would see it is fair to all digital technology companies that they are able to compete on a level playing field and that some of the more egregious behaviors as they would see it from the biggest technology companies are addressed and the real impetus for this proposal has been that existing methods of dealing with competition issues in the digital economy are really not fit for purpose. They're much yeah. too slow and they aren't able to respond to the speed at which things happen in the digital economy. And, and so the idea here is that, you know, can we short circuit some of that um, and come up with some new rules that? these really large uh, technology companies have to follow regardless of going through the sort of the usual competition law procedures.
0: So there's a lot to take in there. And I think I want to start with the DSA and this idea of illegal things happening on your platform. And I can see and understand that it would be like YouTube or the parent company, right, Alphabet, whoever it is, is going to be liable if someone posts something like the Mexican cartels post like a uh, killing on YouTube. And if YouTube doesn't take that down right away, or uh, they're going to be liable for that, is that what you're saying essentially? It would depend
1: on whether that content is illegal or not. So I don't know the specifics on the, the the Mexican cartel, but if if I took for example uh, in a certain member state uh, certain types of speech would be illegal, perhaps mm-hmm. um, Holocaust denial um, or promoting particular organized unsavory organizations. What the DSA would do would be to set out for users, but also for the companies. What needs to be available to me as a user to report that content, to be able to challenge that that content is online, to have appeal processes if my content has been taken down. Mm -hmm. And then from the company's perspective, for them to be conducting risk assessments, So they're having to assess the risk that exists on their own platforms. They're also going to be having to provide processes for users to flag content, to ask for content to be taken down. Mm. And as I said, the idea is that at the moment, many different member states in the EU have different rules on how these types of content are supposed to be addressed, um, either because their laws are different um, or the the types of content is different. So the idea is to try and harmonise it.
0: And I guess my next question then is, there's certain things like documentaries about, let's say, uh, drug use or someone, like maybe the... Um, problem with the painkillers in the US or heroin in the US, right? Heroin is illegal. And so would those documentaries then become something that you could not show on the different platforms because it's showing illegal things happening?
1: No, Uh, there there are protections for freedom of expression and free speech and in that example if it's a clearly a documentary then at least my my own personal perception is that that wouldn't be deemed to be illegal um, and that would be absolutely fine it's really when it comes to illegal content and speech it's really to I think to provide the platform, you know, we hear from some of the largest platforms that they find themselves in difficult positions sometimes as well because content that maybe is illegal in one country is not in another. They're not sure exactly if it should be taken down or if it shouldn't. And Mm. you see these, you know, we often see in, in the media and elsewhere just these examples where it feels like there are some inconsistencies or it doesn't feel like it's quite clear what the the procedures are and and it's an attempt to try and clarify some of that
0: so and this is when it's in a one-to-many situation then like there it isn't in a situation for example on on whatsapp when i'm texting a friend and there's illegal business going on there. Not that I I do illegal business when texting friends, (laughs) but if I were to have some kind of illegal businesses happening when texting a friend on WhatsApp, then WhatsApp wouldn't be liable for that, or would they? Because then that just opens up a whole new can of worms, which is they would have to be monitoring all of my texts, which... And to be fair, they probably already do, but uh, <laughs> but that's that's another sub subject I think
1: There are specific definitions in the proposal of exactly the the platforms that would be in scope, but primarily it is platforms, so it's not targeted at um, private closed group messaging and things like that. It's very much um, focused on public dissemination platforms?
0: Yeah, because, well, so I automatically think about a loophole in that which would be a newsletter, right? And the newsletter that I send out, it's not really a platform. It's more like a one-to-one, except I'm sending it out to -to one-to-many. And so is that loophole taken care of and maybe this is too far in the weeds and we just got to figure out later once this actually comes out so tell me if i'm but that's where my mind is thinking like well how is this legislation because the greater question here is there are so many different use cases right and how can you properly tackle each one of these use cases I think that's
1: that's a very fair point and it's, that's a key part of the discussion will be exactly what is the scope, um, who is in the scope and who is outside of the scope. And there will be a lot of discussion here in Brussels and elsewhere about the definitions that are used. Perhaps just on that specific point, I, I would say this is the discussion that we're having today. Is on the basis of the proposal that has been made by the, the European Commission. It's not final, mm-hmm. and this is the sort of the midway point, as it were, in the process. And there will be a lot of discussions ongoing with uh, with stakeholders input in, and the scope will certainly
0: be a, a big point for discussion. Perfect, perfect. So now diving into the DMA or the digital market act and this is something that is another hot topic and i think both of these pieces of legislation are like you said they're so timely right and this is almost it almost feels like hey this is the lowest hanging fruit right now (laughs) later we'll figure out the we'll go deeper and deeper but right now like we got to figure out the hate speech or the um these giant monopolies that are taking over and they're not allowing for competition and proper competition. And I know Europe has had, like we said, there's, A track record of trying to break up and not allow monopolies. And you can see like the stark contrast between the US and Europe. And even if you just look at the political systems, you see the US has two and Europe. The first time I came to Europe, I was living in Spain and I was blown away by how many different people you could vote for in the elections. (laughs) So I, I think that Europe has this track record of, of breaking up monopolies do they want and how can they f- how can they properly break up a monopoly is that the goal to try and do that or is it just to say like put some checks and balances in place so that they can't these monopolies can't uh, bully the little guys it,
1: exactly the the priority in the digital markets act is to to outlaw some specific behaviours that those biggest companies are are engaging in with the objective that that helps to open up competition to smaller companies wherever they may be. So there are provisions in there for uh, breaking up the, the companies but it's very much, at least at the moment, it's very much seen as an absolute last resort. Mm. And prior to that, the the prior to that, the objective is: can we address some of the most egregious behaviours from those companies, and yeah. through that process, open up more competition?
0: And forgive my ignorance, but what are some of those egregious? actions
1: sure in the the digital markets act it it specifies several behaviors for example um these companies as they're defined the sort of the biggest companies the gatekeepers as they've been called for example they wouldn't be allowed to pre-install uh certain products or services they wouldn't, be able, they wouldn't be permitted to, to force users to use more than one service uh, at the same time. So, to give you a concrete example there, if I'm using the app store of a certain technology company, they wouldn't be allowed to require me to also use their ID service to log in and their payment service to buy things on their app store. They would have to open those, sort of secondary services up to competition so that I as a consumer have more choice uh, on the products and services that I use, for example, on an app store. They will also be required to share more data from their platforms with competitors or other businesses that are using their services and again the objective there is to try and level the playing field to say okay the data that you're collecting on your platform about how we're using them and how we're interacting that needs to be available to others that want to compete with you um, or to challenge the position that you have in the market so there are there are a whole range i think there are Twelve obligations or specific practices that they will not be allowed to do, um, but there, there's just a couple there to, to get us started. Mm.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of I think in the UK you have the law that happened. Maybe it it rippled out into the world too, but in, it started in the UK if I'm not mistaken, where the the financial sector had to start giving. The data, or they had to open up to third parties, right? And then you see a, uh, a bunch of fintechs popping up because of that, because it wasn't like the banks had all of this power and information anymore. I think certainly they've they've taken inspiration from uh, the financial
1: services sector. That's that's been clear. Um, key figures in the commission have, have talked about some other regulated sectors. To go back to my initial point, which is to say, okay, technology sector now is becoming so important Mm -hmm. to our lives, much like financial services or utilities. You know, we need to start thinking about them in that way. Um, And that certainly is is sort of an underpinning of of all of the the proposals we're talking about.
0: Mm. So I'm. I'm just wondering like a bit more about the, the idea of the, the UK and, and Europe and if you feel that Brexit is going to change anything like in the way that the EU regulates things and, um, and Britain will be regulating things. Uh, do you feel like it's still going to be kind of a joint effort or will there be that split like you were talking about before.
1: I think certainly there will be some increasing distance because naturally the UK has now left some of the, the sort of the cooperation networks and, and things like that where competition authorities meet and exchange notes on what's going on in their markets. So there will be, to a certain extent, less information sharing and exchange of of what's going on. Having said that, the UK regulator has seen the the competition and markets authority um, is seen as a a world leader in terms of its resources, its expertise, and that will not change. It was was seen that way while we were within the, I say we, I'm from the UK. When the UK was in the, the European Union, it was seen that way, and that will, I have no doubt that that will continue to be the case uh, thereafter.
0: But, yeah, I think, I think that's a fascinating one, and, and it's interesting how you talk about... Yeah, there, there's been some separation that is happening now, and who knows how far that will separate. Will they go all the way... Uh, Outside of the sphere, or will they try and again take some notes and do it better? They they watch as the EU implements things, and then they say, "Okay, we're going to do this, but we're not going to mess it up like they did here." And hopefully, I think that it is like you said, it's ingrained in the minds also, and it's not quite like oh, we'll just let whatever happen and we don't care, turn a blind eye. Um, as I feel like in the U S you get more of that. Like there's this regulation that we're talking about and how you're saying it's becoming more and more it, of a need for this to be a regulated sector. It is not so, it's not so predominant of a thought or maybe mm-hmm. it is a predominant thought in the U S but I don't feel like it is being acted upon as much as you get here. And so my Question then becomes Is the classic cliche thing that you hear from everyone when you talk about regulation is, well, that'll stifle innovation, right? And but from what you're breaking down and saying, especially with the second one, the Digital Markets Act, is this will help level the playing field. So, how do you feel like those two? will be balanced, like the stifling of innovation because of X, Y, and Z, or is it going to actually, is that the main goal is to try to keep these gigantic companies uh, a little bit more out of the, the, or giving them less power, I should say, and less abilities to just, again, Bully around and throw their weight around when they they can, because that's just it's for them. It's not that big of a deal. Sure,
1: if I take the the first point, it's it's the commission's view that the, the Digital Markets Act will uh, support competition and innovation in the market it's fair to say that that is challenged um and many companies but also academics and others will uh, take the contrary view as well so but I, I think the from the commission's point of view they've made a decision that it's innovation in and of itself is perhaps not the most important goal because the, I don't think there's any doubt that the, the largest technology companies in the world have incredible amounts of innovation, invest huge amounts of money into innovation. I think the, the challenge that the commission is, is trying to solve is how do we make sure that everybody is innovating in the, the ecosystem right not just the largest players with the biggest budgets that are able to attract the best staff. So it's, it's innovation, but, but perhaps um, scattered across more, um, more players.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point that you say, is that making sure that everyone can innovate instead of just the privileged and not having it be only the biggest companies the fang of the world that does the innovation. And then the rest of the companies that are these small startups, they're trying, but they may be at a disposition or a disadvantage. So yeah, that that's very interesting to think about and to think about the... Because you, you hear it all the time, right? That's like the most cliche thing to say is, well as soon as you start regulating, then it kills innovation. And so the right kind of regulation and the thought that goes into that, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how they decide upon some of these ideas and some of these regulations.
1: Sure. Certainly from the, the digital... If I go back to the Digital Services Act very briefly... When we look at online content, the, the inspiration for that is, is a directive from the year 2000. And so the inspiration there is, okay, we need to update our rules because the internet has changed yeah, in 20 we... years, you know, beyond our wildest dreams. So some of this is uh, a continuation of a historic uh, process. When it comes to the, the Digital Markets Act and the competition space, the inspiration there has been the inability of existing competition law. And I, I'm not a competition lawyer, but uh, the inspiration has been the inability of competition law to tackle the competition challenges that exist in the digital economy the commission we've all seen they have levied fines they have had competition rulings against many of the largest technology companies and they haven't fundamentally managed to sort of crack the nut as it were Mm. and and so this is another attempt by a slightly different route to do that to to make sure that as they would see it everybody's able to compete on a level playing field
0: Yeah, that's another fascinating one. The idea that there's been so many fines handed out and these fines have been basically nothing. They're peanuts to these gigantic companies and it's not doing what it needs to be doing. It's not making a dent in this space. And so, like you said, this is another way of trying to figure out how they can level the playing field. And so that, yeah, the, both of these, these two, and it seems to me, like I mentioned before, these are very much low-hanging fruit, but I imagine there's a lot that's in the pipeline and do you have any insight into what else they would like to do or is it just, hey, let's roll these out right now and then in another two years we'll roll out a few more and then we'll figure out what, what's the next lowest hanging fruit? Sure, so certainly the, these two are,
1: are top priorities. I think realistically in terms of the timeline, you're looking at a couple of years at least until these uh, come out of the, the other end of the, the machine, as it were. But alongside this, you also have proposals on artificial intelligence that will be coming from the European Commission this spring, and then also proposals on on data governance and data policy as well. So it's a very busy agenda for the Commission in the technology space. And again, I think that's a recognition, at least at the EU level, that one, they want to be global leaders in terms of uh, regulating technology. They want to be setting the agenda as far as they possibly can. Mm. But then also, I get that we have reached a, a certain moment in our uh, evolution that, you know, it's too important now not to be intervening in specific areas.
0: Mm. Yeah, and so I remember... When, the so it was in 2018, I guess when uh the whole regulation came out around G, D, G, <laughs> GDPR, and the thing that was interesting to me around that was, I had uh, I was living in Spain at the time, and I had all my friends who had their small businesses, like it was just them as their business, they were very much like, wait, what do I have to do? Why? What? Uh, and I gotta. So I gotta go hire someone to get me through all of this regulation. And really, they weren't leveraging what the. Basically, they weren't doing anything with cookies, and they weren't doing anything that made them or warranted for them to have to go out and make these changes or do this compliance. And for them, it was really like it was a hit because they had to go and then pay money to someone to walk them through it and take all of this time out of their business or out of their when they could have been working on their business to go and try and figure out, like, how can I comply to this? And so I wonder about that. And like the majority of these smaller companies we could say or just the kind of this sole proprietorships they aren't really falling under any of these uh the this regulation right or this legislation but in some way they get affected by it and so how when the the thought comes through there like does that ever come up on uh, in discussions is that ever something that people think about and wonder like okay yes we can do this but let's also recognize like the the trickle down where this person at the very bottom who really has nothing to do with any of this is going to it's going to make their lives significantly more difficult
1: Certainly, I think in both the the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act, there's a recognition from the European Commission that the largest companies should have the heaviest obligations Mm -hmm. and that is reflected in... So in the Digital Services Act, there's a graduated approach and um, with the largest platforms having the most obligations... And then in the Digital Markets Act, it will only apply to what they determine as being digital gatekeepers, which are businesses with several billions of euros of turnover every year. So really the, the top of the, the tree, as it were. I think on a broader point about the extent to which uh, smaller businesses and SMEs are able to contribute to the discussions and make their voices heard. I think it is a challenge because speaking as somebody who works here, it can be quite a quite a long process, quite a technical process. And exactly to your point, most people's priority is running their business. It's not about yeah. following what's going on in Brussels. But nevertheless, I think it is important that that people engage as far as they possibly can and and are aware of of what's going on because exactly as you said uh given where we are at the moment developments in brussels do impact most technology businesses now and i think as you said when it came to gdpr i think that was perhaps uh, a reckoning for a lot of people to think okay wow you know, what, what happens in Brussels can really filter down to me. Mm. Perhaps I do need to be paying more attention um, and it's not something that, that I can tick the box. You know, I need to be a bit more aware of what's going on.
0: Yeah, it feels to me a little bit like uh, this new proposed legislation has big tech in the crosshairs. Is that how it's, it is? it is? I, certainly,
1: when it comes to the Digital Markets Act, it is the case that realistically the top fifteen or twenty digital companies will be in the scope. So that's really the 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 the, the very top. The Digital Services Act it's it's a slightly different uh, as it relates to platforms more generally, but as I said, it has a graduated uh, approach in terms of commitments and the top level of commitments it's platforms with more than 45 million users Uh, so again the the majority of those really big players
0: yeah and you mentioned before too that there's Other kinds of legislation that is being talked about and being thrown around around ai and data governance and there was one thing you said before too about the idea of leveling the playing field for the company like the gigantic company that has their app store and they have to start sharing data or opening up to third parties uh, so that they can the user has a choice they don't get locked in there. And I wonder about the, the sharing data and instantly, I guess it's just because of how I've been conditioned over the last, whatever, five, 10 years, when you start saying, oh yeah, they'll be obligated to share data. It just makes me cringe a little bit like, oh no, more people are going to have access to my data. That's not what I want. <laughs> and so how does that uh, that kind of knee-jerk response play into... And I'm sure I'm just basically misunderstanding what the idea is around that, like sharing data. But instantly when you said that, I was that was the first thing I thought about.
1: I, I, I don't think you've misinterpreted it at all. I think you've really <laughs> hit the nub of the challenge. Uh, very often in the digital space is this this tension between interoperability requirements that can support competition because more people have access to the data can understand how uh, platforms operate you know perhaps how they preference certain products and services Mm. so there's that tension with privacy and users being able to sort of control their data and have security and Plainly, that hasn't been resolved, um, that tension. It exists, and depending which side of the debate you're on, on, on which day, um, you, you see some arguing for interoperability and some arguing against. Um, we've seen from companies some attempts to improve interoperability in terms of being able to transfer over your user accounts for example from one platform to another Mm. but frankly that really hasn't got off the ground in any substantive or successful way and and that that is a challenge and as I said it it really hasn't been resolved yet the the tension between competition and privacy
0: yeah not only that but I think about The startup, like you're saying, it's the interoperability and we want to allow for the smaller players to have access to this data that gives the advantage to the bigger players. But then you have a smaller player that says, oh, yeah, well, (laughs) all of my servers are in China. I use Alibaba because it's cheaper. And then it's just a whole nother can of worms that you're opening up. So that data governance piece is huge, right? And so I would be, v- I'm just wondering, like, how can you put this Digital Markets Act into play without that other piece, which is the data governance and the, that whole ecosystem around that?
1: So with the Digital Markets Act, the idea is that it will be, there will be interoperability requirements based around specific circumstances. So they will identify the specific gatekeeper company and the specific behaviour that they are engaged in, for example, around data and mandate interoperability requirements around that. It won't be, and this is a discussion that that was had in the the development of the proposals, there will not be sort of general interoperability requirements because I think exactly to the points that you've made is that that does cause challenges with privacy and the security of users' data. So it will be Mm -hmm. mandated data sharing, but in very specific circumstances.
0: Hmm. And out of curiosity, because I, I haven't actually ever talked to someone who is this far deep in the process and <laughs> knowledge of it, how many people are sitting around a table and trying to figure out these hard questions?
1: A lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, no, in in all seriousness, it's something particularly these two legislative files I think for most of the the main digital companies but also the the sort of the whole digital ecosystem they recognize that this is a a landmark moment and so energy and attention is being focused on doing all that they can to contribute to the the process and make sure that it's as favorable to them as as possible. In terms of uh, around a specific table, um, you know, there are meetings pretty much every day in Brussels discussing specifics around the proposals, now they've been published. And that dialogue, as I mentioned, will be going on for the next couple of years. So it is a very intensive process. And, you know, you are looking at... A couple of hundred people probably involved across all the different companies the different institutions the parliament the the council where you have the member states involved it's uh it's it's quite a big uh, undertaking
0: and the next questions that i have being from the us is how do they ensure that big tech doesn't just buy off half of the council or half of the whatever to make sure that they get the favorable results or they get the loopholes. And, and then the other thing kind of along those lines is um, how diverse is this group and how do they ensure the diversity of that? Like, are, are there the voices for the small businesses? Are there voices for the different um, whatever it may be like genders, races and, uh, the equality sector of that. How do you how do you make sure that there's everything is in balance? Sure, certainly
1: the institutions here in Brussels and my experience has been that they do take on a very diverse range of views. They often they have a very clear process that they have to follow when they're publishing proposals they have to do public consultation they have to publish plans of plans of plans um Mm -hmm. and allow people to to respond and to provide feedback and as i mentioned coming from the the united kingdom it's a much more structured and transparent process here in brussels than it perhaps is in the uk where it's it's more of a political judgment um, because the government has the right to essentially enact the legislation that they want to. So it's more transparent, but then each step in that process provides additional opportunities to engage but also an additional burden on smaller companies because there are many rounds of consultation, many rounds of of input, and it, is, it can be challenging for smaller companies to frankly find the resource to do yeah. that work. That is a challenge in all legislation, frankly, uh, regardless of where you are in the world. I imagine that... Um, to a certain extent more resource enables you to be present in more places Mm. but certainly my experience in brussels is they do take the utmost to engage with consumer organizations smes trade associations for the multiplicity of different industries and, and and of course speaking to the you know the companies big and small
0: yeah, unions, I imagine, all of that. And the, the thing that I was wondering when you were saying that is, how does anything get done <laughs> with all of that? All of these different people and, like you said, hundreds of people coming together to decide and ultimately agree on something that's going to go out and potentially have life-changing effects on certain groups or certain companies that have very much uh they have big shares and it it's a very very difficult task i can imagine and so it's incredible that anything does get done and uh and the transparency i'm sure helps
1: absolutely and it is something that makes it much more accessible process and there are the websites where you can find all of the documents you can follow the processes and in that sense it is possible to to engage in terms of the the timelines that's often why these sorts of things take a long time Um, yeah you know i mentioned earlier that these two files might take 18 months or so GDPR was getting on for four years uh, from start to finish. And that is because, as you said, there is a lot of discussion, negotiation, and compromise ultimately at the end of the day. You're you're trying to get 27 members to, to all agree on something.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. So for those out there listening... If they wanted to learn more about this or if they wanted to voice an opinion about something, is there a way to go about doing that? What would be the best way to find out more information or try and voice their opinion?
1: Sure. Um, the two files we're discussing today, the DSA and the DMA, if you Google them with European Commission... You will find the relevant pages on the Commission's website where they publish all of the documents that are associated with the proposal. There also will be contact details on there where you can contact the officials uh, in the Commission directly um, to to share your views with them or to ask them if if they will be willing to to have an audience with you. For members that are in different member states, you know, engage with your ministry, your relevant uh, officials in your member state. They will also be following these discussions very closely. Hmm. And then also at the industry level, you know, I would certainly suggest if you're a member of a an association or a trade association, again particularly the digitally focused ones most of them will have a an officer of some description who's able to provide a little bit more information uh, so the information is out there it can be a bit tricky to to <laughs> navigate it all but it, it's a pretty transparent process and i would encourage everybody to to dive in if they uh, have the inclination and the time
0: excellent well, this has been a great conversation, Tom. I really appreciate you sitting down, enlightening me on so many different pieces of this, which I was completely ignorant of. And now I feel like I at least can hold my own a little bit better. And I I really appreciate how simple you put it. You know, you, you made it so that I could understand it. I think most people out there listening are going to be able to understand it. And it's also a very, very important subject that needs to be talked about more and more. And I know legislation and regulation can be a bit dry sometimes. It's not exactly your, <laughs> your favorite TV show or series that we're going on about, but it is. it has very, very big effects on a lot of people and so it is important to talk about it and learn about it too Uh, like you mentioned before it was it's a wake-up call in 2018 for a lot of people that oh what goes on in brussels actually can have an effect on me so i really appreciate you talking to me about this and thanks again thanks very much thanks for having me oh wait Before we go, I got one last question. (laughs) If you're quick. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's, are you a robot? No. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right. Thanks again, Tom. Thanks very much.